The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Are you a fan of the Superhero Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more content, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for Superhero Therapy, and select one of our tiers. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett, clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. So today I'm so super excited. I'm like out of this galaxy excited to actually have our first podcast about The Mandalorian. I'm so excited. Woohoo! <laughs> so The Mandalorian is the first live action Star Wars series ever made. Not developed, but you know, the first one that actually was made. It is just this fun-filled space western that has reignited my Star Wars soul. I love it. I really enjoy this series. It's set five years after the second Death Star was destroyed in Return of the Jedi. So we know that the Galactic Empire has fallen at this point, and it's just a chaotic realm where people are just trying to get by and that brings me to my first question I love the Star Wars universe and one of the many wonderful things about this show is its attention to nostalgia the showrunners include a lot of Easter eggs recognizable characters like Boba Fett R2D2 Luke Skywalker alien races like Tusken Raiders Jawas Devorians Weequays Twi'leks and devices like blasters and lightsabers and thermal detonators and even the ice cream maker that Wilrow Hood <laughs> was carrying in the evacuation of Cloud City and Empire Strikes Back. I really geek out about this show and these fun little Easter eggs it has. Why is the fan service and the Easter eggs and addressing nostalgia like this so effective? Well, we humans are associative beings, right? So sometimes we might smell something and remember a lovely food that we shared with a dear friend or we might smell a cologne and remember maybe a past partner or you know a friend or maybe a a terrifying memory and when we see a reminder of maybe a past movie we've enjoyed especially like you I know grew up on the original Star Wars trilogy and for you this is something that's so incredibly meaningful 
then these Easter eggs, whether it's certain characters or props or tools, they bring back not just the memory of watching the original films, for example, the original trilogy, but also the way that we felt. And memories live not only in the mind, they live in the body. Mm -hmm. And long after we might not cognitively think of a particular event, our body might still relive that event. And so for traumatic events, even if we're not remembering something terrible that happened to us, our body might react with fight or flight response. And for happy memories, even if we're not actively, cognitively remembering where we were when we watched Empire Strikes Back, for example, for the first time <laughs> in our lives, the way that our body reacts is, for example, by flooding us with endorphins and dopamine or oxytocin and these feel-good chemicals of the way that we felt back then. And so nostalgia has a really powerful effect in that it reconnects with the body's memory of having that maybe beautiful experience, for example. And sometimes it creates this almost like bittersweet kind of an experience, the longing for connection, maybe the kind of connection that we had with, let's say, the original trilogy. And also creating a feeling of love, of gratitude. And so it can be a really powerful emotion. For sure. So as we know, the Mandalorian is this lone wolf battle-hardened bounty hunter. And it makes a lot of sense because his home world of Mandalore was decimated by the Galactic Empire in what was called the Great Purge. There really aren't that many Mandalorians left after this event. And I can't help but draw a parallel between the Mandalorians and Native Americans. I honestly can't imagine how it would feel to be a part of a nearly extinct people. Is this something that can be traumatic for someone? And what kind of challenges are created in situations like these? I would imagine so. I kind of drew that parallel too, right? In terms of seeing the kind of genocide that occurred in the Mandalorian nations. Yeah, I kind of drew that similar parallel to indigenous individuals and seeing how, as you said, traumatic it can be for somebody to be one of the not many survivors and then seeing somebody else who is also a Mandalorian, who is also just like them, can be so important because I imagine that for our main character here for the Mandalorian that we're following, I imagine that he's probably felt so alone. We know his story. We're going to get into that in just a little bit, but we know how, how many people he's lost. And therefore, I think for him, whenever he sees somebody else that's also a Mandalorian, I think initially, anyway, he might feel an immediate trust of the other Mandalorian and perhaps want to connect with them and maybe want to talk to them. When he finds more similarities with them, he might want to spend more time with them. When he finds differences, such as certain customs, whether it's, for example, never showing his face, he might feel more alienated from them. Most definitely. As you were mentioning, there's some understandable trauma here. Speaking of trauma, the Mandalorian, or Din Djarin, often flashes back to surviving a military attack when he was a child. He lost his parents, and he almost lost his own life in this attack. He was saved by a group of Mandalorians called Death Watch, and he becomes what's called a foundling. Essentially, he was an orphan that was raised and trained to be a Mandalorian. I was a foundling. 
They raised me in the fighting corps. I was treated as one of their own. When I came of age, I was sworn to the creed. What do you make of an origin story that begins like this, and how do you think it affects his development? Given that he was old enough to remember losing his parents and thinking he was going to die, seeing so much death and destruction, I imagine that was extremely traumatizing, understandably causing him to have great distrust for people who are not Mandalorian after being saved by the Death Watch, that is. Just great distrust of, of people that are strangers to him. Because he was rescued by the Death Watch and raised as a Mandalorian, I think now there is a lot of loyalty, almost to a fault, in terms of being a Mandalorian, in terms of honoring his customs and his people, because I think that he identifies with them so strongly. And anyone who is different might, for him at least sometimes be seen as other and other is to be distrusted. And for somebody that's experienced as much trauma and loss as he had, it, that kind of a belief system is understandable. The Death Watch is a very strict order of Mandalorians who have a lot of really stern rules. Uh, for instance, one of them is that the Mandalorians in their group cannot take off their helmets or let anyone see their faces. Have you ever removed your helmet? No. Has it ever been removed by others? Never. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. And this is something that the Mandalorian really values. I need to remove your helmet if I am to save you. Try it and I'll kill you. It is forbidden. No living thing has seen me without my helmet since I swore the creed. I am not a living thing. I can't help but draw a connection to some religions. What do you think about this level of control over someone's behaviors and beliefs? I saw that parallel too, and I think it's not only religions, but in general, cultural customs, right? Whether it's not letting people see someone's face, whether it's people outside of a certain community or people of a certain sex not being allowed to show their face, for example, people not being allowed to participate in certain things or people being required to have certain customs. I think that it shows what cultural norms are and can do. And I think in a lot of ways, cultural norms can be helpful. And in some ways, cultural norms can be extreme. And I actually really appreciated the way that this show depicted how sometimes there can be this variety of cultural norms, right? They can be helpful in terms of saving people's lives. And sometimes they can be a little bit extreme too. Yeah. Later on in the series, he does meet a bunch of other Mandalorians that take off their helmets and it really shocks him. He was like, whoa, I thought it was all Mandalorians kind of attitude. In uh, fact, he immediately distrusts them and doesn't want to yeah. be around them when You're they do. You're not real do. Mandalorians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the Mandalorians that he meets, like Bo-Katan, for example, uh -huh. and, and others who take off their helmets explained to him that the sect that he was raised with were almost like a cult. I've been searching for more of our kind. Well, lucky we found you first. 
I've been quested to deliver this child. I was hoping that... Where did you get that armor? This armor has been in my family for three generations. You do not cover your face. You are not Mandalorian. He's one of them. Dink Ferrick. One of what? I am Bo-Katan of Clan Kreese. I was born on Mandalore and fought in the Purge. I am the last of my line. And you are a child of the Watch. The Watch? Children of the Watch are a cult of religious zealots that broke away from Mandalorian society. Their goal was to reestablish the ancient way. There is only one way. The way of the Mandalore. I think that it's something he refuses to believe, understandably, because they're the ones that saved his life. Yes, right. And what really makes this situation more interesting is that Bo-Katan was a lieutenant in Death Watch. I mean, it was a terrorist organization kind of back in the day, fighting back against the Empire. But she was actually part of this sect of Mandalorians, and she broke away from them. And she says, oh, you're one of them. It's it's so interesting, this us versus them attitude out there. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we can't talk about the Mandalorian without talking about the adorable baby Yoda, or as we've come to know him as, Grogu. He is just so cute. He's like the cutest little thing. What is it about cute things like puppies and kittens and Grogu's that make us feel so good? <laughs> I think that when we see something tiny and helpless and something that has big eyes and is maybe a little bit like clumsy and makes cute little noises and adorable little movements we naturally want to take care of it. We might have this natural like, aw, kind of a response. Mm -hmm. And what's happening here is that our body is producing this chemical called oxytocin. Now you might've heard of oxytocin as like the love hormone or the cuddle hormone. And it's also the hormone that's released when we are taking care of children, for example. It's the same chemical that makes us see little defenseless things and want to take care of them. It's not only true to humans, it's also true to other mammals. So it's for that reason that sometimes we might see, for example, dogs taking care of little kittens and deer taking care of puppies, mm -hmm. for example, or monkeys helping to feed little kittens. And so the reason why little beings, whether they're little human children or other baby animals, again, like kittens or puppies or baby elephants, have certain characteristics like not only small size, but also big eyes and like a certain shape to them is because it naturally elicits this kind of an oxytocin response, making us want to take care of them. It's actually a really adaptive look and also a really adaptive response in all of us because by taking care of other beings, we're also ensuring the mutual survival. And so it's understandable that seeing baby Grogu made 
probably majority of viewers go, ah, <laughs> just want to take care of him and protect him and give him all the cuddles and all the soup. <laughs> all <laughs> the frogs the, and, uh, and eggs. Maybe not the frogs. <laughs> Let's not do that. But uh, but maybe all the soup in the world. <laughs> I thought it was very interesting that you brought up animals having that kind of crossbreed like care for something cute and everything. I had this really interesting memory that I wanted to share with you. I, I had this dog named Scruffy and she was a mommy dog. She had, you know, puppies before and everything, but her puppies were a year or two old. We found this little kitten all by itself, barely open in its eyes. I mean, it was a brand new kitten. So we took it home and tried to care for it and everything. The interesting thing is we were having a hard time feeding it, but Scruffy, the dog, <laughs> somehow started lactating and the, the little kitten was feeding off of her. Aww. It was the craziest situation. I remember this. I, I was pretty young, but I remember this thing going, oh my God, a dog can feed a cat. And, yeah. you know, and she wasn't even a mom at that time. But for some reason, I guess these instincts kicked in <laughs> for her, these maternal instincts and she fed the little baby and it grew up to be this rad little cat but Aww. I thought that was really interesting and what you said brought that up because who doesn't want to care for a cute little thing <laughs> right well that was exactly why just a month ago we adopted another cute little kitten Kylo <laughs> I know another one who's very strong with the force <laughs> so getting back Grogu is actually 50 years old but he looks like a toddler, so that makes it really interesting as well. He was a Jedi Padawan and is very strong with the Force, too. Like Din Djarin, or the Mandalorian, he was also saved. Grogu was hidden and smuggled away in the attack on the Jedi Temple during Order 66, or the Great Jedi Purge. There's a lot of purging in Star Wars. He was raised at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Many masters trained him over the years. At the end of the Clone Wars, when the Empire rose to power, he was hidden. Someone took him from the temple. Then his memory becomes dark. He seemed lost, alone. It's no surprise that the Mandalorian is so connected to Grogu. They have a lot in common. What do you think about their connection? Well, as you said, both of them have lived through genocide. Both of them have been rescued and essentially adopted by these father-like figures that help them to be safe and help them to be taken care of and having their needs met. So there's this understandable loyalty to the person that takes care of them. And Grogu, in a lot of ways, seems to attach to Din Djarin as almost like a father figure. I think that in the flashbacks anyway that we saw with Din Djarin, I think it was the same way that he attached to the Death Watch Mandalorian that saved him. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. It was said a little bit later that he was suppressing his force because he was scared. He was scared that someone was going to probably kill him. And I had this idea, and I wanted to just run it by you, that the reason why he's 50 is he kind of suppressed his whole growth, maybe? I mean, we haven't gone into it, but that would be kind of interesting that he just whooped. 
I actually don't know. We know that those species live for a long time, right? Yoda was close to a thousand years old. Just kind of, if we do the math, that would make baby Yoda, you know, just what about five years old equivalent? But you know, <laughs> he acts more like, I guess, a one or two year old. What we also know is that children, when they experience something traumatic, might regress. So, for example, if you have a five or six year old who witnessed people being killed in front of them, who was almost killed themselves, might lose their ability to speak for a period of time and might regress to childlike behaviors, to baby-like behaviors. And so we don't know if Grogu's ability or not speaking, for example, was due to trauma or if he's really still learning to speak. When he meets Ahsoka, he does appear to be able to communicate with her telepathically, but we don't know how exposed he had been to other languages. So mm -hmm. perhaps that could be a part of it too, is maybe he just wasn't exposed to other languages uh, or other abilities to communicate and speak. I think that the trauma that he had experienced, not only having seen a lot of genocide and having been almost killed, but also having been tortured and experimented on and mm -hmm. having his blood drawn, I think that really affected him. And I imagine that not only did it cause him to suppress and hide his powers, but it might have also possibly caused him to act in a more childlike way. So again, doing the math, if we assume that those species live for close to a thousand years, then in human years, Grogu would be about five years old. Thinking about him suppressing his Jedi powers and everything, it's very interesting that he, he, I wanted to say love, but I mean, he has uh, such a connection with Din Djarin that he doesn't even hesitate to use the force to help him when he's in danger. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think he loves him. He's attached to him and he will do anything to protect him, it seems. Mm-hmm. All good stories have to have a villain. The main villain in this series is Moff Gideon, who is a very high-ranking leader in what's left of the Galactic Empire. He's very level-headed, he's very focused, and he's very confident. Your astute panic suggests that you understand your situation. I would prefer to avoid any further violence and encourage a moment of consideration. Members of my escort have completed assembly of an E-Web heavy repeating blaster. If you are unfamiliar with this weapon, I am sure that Republican shock trooper Karasynthia Dune of Alderaan will advise you that she has witnessed many of her ranks vaporized mid-descent, facing the predecessor of this particular model. Or perhaps the decommissioned Mandalorian hunter, Din Djarin, has heard the songs of the Siege of Mandalore, when gunships outfitted with similar ordnance laid waste to fields of Mandalorian recruits in the night of a thousand tears. I advise disgraced magistrate Grief Karga to search the wisdom of his years and urge you to lay down your arms and come outside. The structure you are trapped in will be raised in short order, 
and your storied lives will come to an unceremonious end. What do you propose? Reasonable negotiation. What assurance do you offer? If you're asking if you can trust me, you cannot. Just as you betrayed our business arrangement, I would gladly break any promise and watch you die in my hand. The assurance I give is this. I will act in my own self-interest, which at this time involves your cooperation and benefit. I will give you until nightfall, and then I will have the E-Web cannon open fire. What are your thoughts on this new Star Wars villain? I think he's very well written. He's one of my favorite Star Wars villains. Still nothing beats Thrawn, and I'm <laughs> yeah. hoping to see Thrawn. They do in, mention him in the They Mandalorian. do mention him, and I'm really hoping to see Thrawn I think in he'll be in Ahsoka, three. to be honest, in the new Ahsoka series that's going to be coming out. I yeah. think that's what they're building up. If you're not familiar with Thrawn, we meet him in Star Wars Rebels, which is my favorite Star Wars anything of all the movies and television <laughs> shows. Star Wars Rebels is my favorite series, and I think Thrawn is the most interesting villain or however you would classify him to defeat an enemy you must know them not simply their battle tactics but the history philosophy art moff gideon i think is really well written i think he's really well developed i think unlike the emperor who was the powerful villain but i think a little bit of maybe dare i say it a flat character mm-hmm. mav gideon i think is a little bit more of a round character in terms of you can kind of see what he wants and what he's trying to do you can kind of understand his intentions i don't agree with him of course mm-hmm. but i can see where he's coming from in some ways and you can see why he's doing the things that he's doing. It's not only to be evil. There is a method to his logic. There is a reason why he's doing everything he's doing. He's controlling and manipulative. And he thinks five steps ahead. He's, he's a, so smart. <laughs> he's very smart. I think, again, the only one smarter than him is Thrawn. Yeah. And he's like a chess player. And so I thought it was a really well-written character. We had mentioned Bo-Katan a little earlier and you had mentioned Rebels and she's from Rebels and she, you know, was brought to the live action screen in The Mandalorian. And the Star Wars universe has finally brought Ahsoka Tano, which you have also mentioned, to a live action format. I love Ahsoka. Ahsoka is such a great character. A little background, she was Anakin Skywalker's or Darth Vader's Jedi Padawan. She left the Jedi before the Purge. And the funny thing about that situation is she was actually ousted from the Jedi because they thought she did a crime and she actually didn't. And she proved herself and she proved her innocence. And when they offered to have her back, she was like, no, you guys never even supported me during this whole thing. She just basically left the Jedi Order. She quit. She quit. She said, done with it. Ahsoka, I am so sorry about everything. You have our most humble apologies, little Soka. The Council was wrong to accuse you. You have shown such great strength and resilience in your struggle to prove your innocence. This is the true sign of a Jedi Knight. This was actually your great trial. Now we see that. 
We understand that the Force works in mysterious ways. And because of this trial, you have become a greater Jedi than you would have otherwise. Back into the Order. You, Maker. They're asking you back, Ahsoka. I'm asking you back. I'm sorry, Master. But I'm not coming back. She's a smart, compassionate character, and she kicks all the ass. How important is it to have a character like Ahsoka and Bo-Katan, really, in the Star Wars universe? Well, you know, in the first trilogy, the only person, the only woman we had to look up to was Princess Leia, mm -hmm. who was, to be fair, one of the first kick-ass women characters in on major television or in major films in sci-fi world anyway right mm -hmm. who was a warrior a fighter so important uh, so important really for people of all genders to see this powerful warrior and now we're starting to see much more diversity of course we still need more more representation of women on the screen we still need more but it's so powerful to see Bo-Katan and Ahsoka and also in Rebels we meet many more women like Hera and Sabine and seeing these incredible warriors whether it's Ahsoka who as you mentioned is never quite a full Jedi but a Jedi in my mind anyway a rebel a warrior and Bo-Katan this amazing Mandalorian seeing these women on the screen is so uplifting and empowering and seeing Bo-Katan's entire clan of these incredible women warriors is just incredible it brought me to tears I know you said that it was really powerful mm -hmm. for you most definitely and I think we need more of that. I am hoping that all across the board, we're going to start seeing even more women in this franchise and others. Yeah. Well, Ahsoka's getting her own whole show. I and know. I think she's amazing. And I think Rosaria Dawson did a fantastic job bringing her to the, you know, live screen. I agree. I agree. I think she did a wonderful job. I, you know, I still, of course, miss Ashley Eckstein, who voiced um, <laughs> Ahsoka in Clone Wars and in Rebels. But I agree, Rosario Dawson did a wonderful job portraying her on the screen as well. The Mandalorian will stop at nothing to make sure that Grogu is safe and returned to the Jedi. This mission is his life. Not only is it something that is kind of like a rule of the Death Watch, you know, if you find a foundling, you have to protect them. And if it's your mission to do what, you know, take them to whatever or train them or whatever, that's your mission. And his mission is to return Grogu to his people, the Jedi. Show me the one whose safety deemed such destruction. This is the one. This is the one that you hunted, then saved? Yes. The one that saved me as well. From the mud hole? Yes. It looks helpless. It's injured, but it is not helpless. Its species can move objects with its mind. I know of such things. The songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi that fought with such powers. It is an enemy? No. It's kind we're enemies, but this individual is not. What is it? 
It is a foundling. By Creed. It is in your care. You wish me to train this thing? It is too weak. It would die. You have no choice. You must reunite it with its own kind. Where? This you must determine. You expect me to search the galaxy for the home of this creature and deliver it to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. What does it say about someone who completely makes their life about someone else? I think it says a lot about that individual's core values. I think that when we have something or someone to live for that is greater than ourselves, it gives us a sense of purpose. And it looks like for the Mandalorian individuals, it's whether it's a promise or a code, I think that it gives them something to live by and something to live for, right? Like when Boba Fett makes his promise to Din Djarin to protect Grogu. If he gets his armor back. <laughs> if he gets his armor back. I want my armor back. It goes against the Mandalorian creed. The armor was given to my father, Django, by your forebears. In exchange, I guarantee the safety of the child, as well as your own. He intends to keep that promise, even though Grogu was taken into an Imperial ship. I want you to take a look at something. Chain code has been encoded in this armor for 25 years. You see, this is me, Boba Fett. This is my father, Django Fett. Your father was a foundling. Yes. He even fought in the Mandalorian civil wars. Then that armor belongs to you. I appreciate its return. Then our deal is complete. Not quite. How so? We agreed, in exchange for the return of my armor, we will ensure the safety of the child. The child's gone. Until he has returned to you safely, we are in your debt. It really shows the honor of the Mandalorian Code, but also that it's not just a custom, it's something that they live by and also live for. And so I think that for so many individuals, having a core value like that, following a code or protecting someone or taking care of someone, it gives us a sense of purpose. It gives us something to fight for. And I think that's what gives our life meaning. I, I find that interesting when you brought up Boba Fett and his armor and how important his armor is and how important Mandalorian armor is to them. And the Beskar, that type of metal that actually only came from Mandalore that the Empire stole from them. That the lightsaber can't slice. Uh, yeah, but and that was what I was going to bring up is these objects like the dark saber, which you were just referring to. The dark saber and the armor, it means so much. People would die for it. I'm here for the armor. If you want my armor, you'll have to peel it off my dead body. The dark saber is something that whoever wields it can rule Mandalore, the whole planet. Why don't you kill him now and take it? It's yours now. What is? The dark saber. It belongs to you. to her she can't take it it must be won in battle 
In order for her to wield the Darksaber again, she would need to defeat you in combat. I yield. It's yours. Oh, no. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. The Darksaber doesn't have power. The story does. Without that blade, she's a pretender to the throne. He's right. What does it say about objects that mean so much to somebody, these cultures or whatever? Just that object can represent so much power. I'm kind of like tearing up thinking about this, but it's about preserving something really powerful about a culture, especially when there was genocide. During the Second World War, I'm getting pretty emotional, um... There were people that strapped pieces of the Torah to their body to get it out of Germany in safety, risking being killed, risking being exposed. But because the Torah had meant so much to them, they risked their lives to preserve this book, you know, to preserve the Torah. Mm -hmm. And there were so many objects, whether there were menorahs or the Star of David, that, again, people would go to great lengths to hide and protect, not to mention protecting other people. And I think that it's not just a custom sometimes, it's a preservation of a culture that might have been killed, you know, a preservation of people that might have been slaughtered. And so for individuals, you know, in real life, like for Jewish people or indigenous people, for example, those objects are not just representations of their culture. It's it's almost like a remnant of the culture. It's 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 a piece of them where other pieces have been destroyed and it's so meaningful. Objects can be powerful. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing. I mean, I love Star Wars universe. I love how it correlates. I love how they take from our histories. It's amazing. At the end of the season two finale, after Luke Skywalker comes back and decimates a platoon of dark trooper droids to save the day, the Mandalorian takes off his helmet so Grogu can touch the real face behind the mask and see him eye to eye. It's such a beautiful scene. The Mandalorian only took his helmet off twice and both times were for Grogu. What does this say about his feelings for Grogu? I think it says that this child is more important to him than his customs. That he's willing to live and die for this child. That he's willing to even break his code for this child. And that sometimes love is more important than laws and customs. Grogu became his code. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's just... Gosh, there's two seasons of The Mandalorian out right now. There's a third season already approved. And there's just so much to talk about. I can talk about Star Wars all day. And The Mandalorian just has so much information. And I hope that we can just do another episode because... There's plenty of information here to, to go over, but we better stop here for now. <laughs> Otherwise, we will never get to work. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. Mm-hmm.
For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Dark Agents, Book One, Violet and the Trial of Trauma. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Superhero Therapy Podcast. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind and have a great day.